Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I got to learn so much from an incredible person named Emily DePass. Emily is a digital creator, sex educator, and writer. She's very passionate about the intersection of accessibility, ethics, and sexual health. We talked about so much. Emily shared her story about getting diagnosed with herpes in 2015 and kind of how society sets us up for failure, really, when it comes to having and getting the proper sex education to prepare yourself for something like that, which is so much more common than we think. We talked about that. We talked about the importance of destigmatizing STIs, um, specifically herpes. I just learned so much. And every time I chat with people like Emily or some other guests that I've had about sex education, I feel so angry because it just there's just this this wealth of knowledge that I almost feel like was kept from us and we were lied to in a way growing up just not being able to have access to this information and that just leads to so much shame and so much self-hatred and so much disconnection with your body and just oh the reason that I have this podcast in general is to talk about these kinds of things and I am really happy and excited to be able to continue learning and to just see that there are other people out there that have the same questions, the same curiosities, and want to learn too. And guys, when it comes to talking about STIs like herpes, we have a lot of work to do with when it comes to destigmatizing and creating more spaces full of compassion to talk about it. So anyway, you guys, this was a really great talk. I hope you guys enjoy and I will see you next time. How's it going? I'm I'm well. How are you, Jackie? I'm doing good. You say you're in Philadelphia? I am in Philadelphia, yes. And the Eagles just lost the Super Bowl yesterday. So I was about to say, city, I was actually rooting for you guys. The city is still here, so that's a good sign. Um, but, you know, there will be another Super Bowl. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. I was um, watching it with my partner's family and her dad was very torn. So he just wanted everyone to have fun. But her sister, uh, she was rooting for the Eagles. And I decided I wanted to root for the Eagles because I felt like they got bullied at the beginning. I don't know anything yeah. about football, but they just looked like they were getting <laughs> bullied and I was mad about it. So I decided to root for you guys. I like that. Look, we have something in common already. We do. We do. Well, listen, Emily, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm really excited to get to chat. Uh, for those of you listening, Emily is a colleague of a past guest that we had on here a little while ago, Erica Smith. Uh, Emily, do you want to tell me a little bit? We'll tell the people a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're what you're doing. Sure. So I'm a sex educator, digital creator, writer, However, you'd like to frame that. Um, and I, my work specifically focuses on redefining the narratives around STIs. So that typically means um, STI stigma in dating is where I end up. And I do a lot of work in the herpes community. So raising awareness, um, addressing stigma, trying to educate. Uh, and that 
that's what I do. That's a basic overview. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very, very cool. Um, well, to to start off this interview, I always ask the same question to kind of get things going, and that is to, to describe the relationship that you have with your body today. Today, I would say it's a meditative relationship. Um, and by that, I mean, I've come to adopt movement as a medicine for me. Um, I've had a tumultuous relationship with my body over the years, um, from when I was very, very young, um, very young. Um, and so it's moved into a space of awareness and knowing when my body is stressed because I am someone that tends to take on a lot of high stress environments. Um, and so, you know, just, I've been in a constant relabeling, like trying to find a way to join my body. So I, that's why I come to meditative because it's, it's a process. It's not just an absolute kind of thing. Mm, I like how you worded that finding ways to join your body. That's really cool. Uh, one of my old therapists, the best one ever always used to kind of talk about it with me as like me and my body, like integrating. So I feel like that, mm -hmm. that feels very, very um, familiar and real to me. I like that. Uh, you said you're used to, are you, you find yourself in high stress environments a lot. What, what do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Uh, just my workload, just the, mm. you know, I, I went to grad school and worked full time for five years. Um, I'm always, I'm wow. an overachiever. I'm type A. Um, I have a very rigid workout routine that I enjoy and I'm trying to find meaning again. Um, but last year was very high stress for me. Um, I finished grad school, so I had a full-time job. I was still doing classes. And then I also had an internship that was basically a part-time job in a mobile crisis unit. So Oh, wow. Lots of, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, what did you go to school for? Uh, so I have my master of social work and master of education uh, in human sexuality. So I actually thought, so Erica Smith and I went to the same um, grad school in different times, but oh, wow. I know small world, right? Um, we went to Widener just outside of Philadelphia in Chester, Pennsylvania. And I thought I went to Widener because I really wanted to be a sex therapist. However, when the pandemic came around, I realized that I didn't want, I became very self-reflective again, you know, this relationship we have with ourselves, And I realized I really don't want to do the individual therapy aspects. I really enjoy educating. Um, but I, I just don't, I've, I've seen the, you know, in my internships, I've seen how, little you really can do you know there and i've made such a difference online to people and that's really mm -hmm. what i want and that's but i think carrying that in continued one-on-one -on -one, you know in a therapeutic se session i don't think is for me um that makes a lot of sense that's cool that you kind of figured out where you wanted to land in that world i think that's something that i've heard a lot of people talk about it's like i know i want to be somewhere in this like mm -hmm. genre of work, but finding like what hat you really want to wear is, is right. hard. So that's awesome that you figured that out. Yes. Uh, not an easy decision either because, you know, I was halfway through my program, but I still want to use my education just in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been a paralegal. And so I think I would like to do more of, you know, the reproductive and sexual health rights and advocacy. And I think that's where the change really will come and be made uh, because I've seen so many people get burned by lack of insurance or, you know, 
they can't see a therapist because the therapist doesn't take their insurance or they can't afford the session. And so there are all these barriers. And so I think there are larger, uh, larger issues needed to be tackled. Absolutely. That is something that I am actively trying to learn more about because I'm super passionate about that as well. So I think that that's really cool. I love that you have created your Instagram to be just like this well of knowledge for people about STIs and about herpes a lot because I don't know. I just, I feel like that's one thing that at least in my community and with the people that I've talked about that I don't know if I've heard about being actively destigmatized. Like, I feel like we've come a long way in a lot of areas and we have millions of miles to go in all the areas too, but I loved finding your page cause that was, that was so new and so needed and different. Cause it's such a scary thing to talk about growing up. And it's weird to think that like, after unpacking everything that I know I have, and it still feels scary to me, I just was so excited to get to, to find you and to just get to learn more about it. Um, how did you come up with that idea for the Instagram page? Like what's your, what's your story with that? So that Instagram, if you scroll far enough back, it was actually my personal Instagram um, from when Instagram just came out, you know, in like 2012. So there's like some funny and weird pictures there. I've cleaned it up a bit, but um, <laughs> vintage Emily, if for any hardcore fans, um, so Love it. I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with herpes, um, in 2015 mm. and I started writing about it and I had a blog, um, and I went through a really dark space myself. And so kind of through writing, I started, I was like, you know what, I want to get my ideas out there more. Like, I, I think there's work to be done here. And I just kind of moved my writing onto Instagram and that came in the form of captions and, um, you know, learning how to create digital media. And um, it really just took off from there. And I, I never really thought how many people would pay attention to it. Um, but it's been a really, a really transformative thing for me too. Um, and you know, you always have people that are like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm so happy I found your page. I'm so happy I found your page. But it it's really important for me. And I think not even just for the people that have herpes, but for people looking for more information, like, oh my gosh, my partner told me or my friend told me and trying to create, like you said, this wealth of knowledge, just kind of like a hub um, for people to go to that's not scary and that it's a safe space to challenge their ideas. Um, yeah, that's, that's very, very cool. Very cool. And I'm going to have to deep dive and find some vintage Emily later when we're done talking. <laughs> Please do. Let me know what you find. <laughs> will make me feel less alone in my vintage Jackie days. Um, okay, so you said you were diagnosed with herpes at 15. How? Oh, no, in 2015. In 2015. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I knew that. And it's then I turned the numbers around. Good. Okay, 2015. How would you say your relationship with your body was before that? And then kind of how that shifted things there. So I had just graduated college and my undergrad was gender and sexuality studies. And I was really wanting to be the sex therapist. Like I knew, like, I want to go to Widener. I want to do this. I don't want to take time off. I was very confident, committed, um, feeling very powerful in general. And that translated to my body too. Uh, but when that diagnosis happened, it was very uh, defeating, uh, humiliating, um, mm challenging uh i felt like all the work that i had done on my body like and my body image 
uh, really just went to shit for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sex drive just dipped and it, it was the really, you know, no one, no one talks about this relationship to yourself that you have when you get a, a herpes diagnosis or any kind of diagnosis like that. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I think with STIs, it's so hard because people don't know about them, right? You know, you have this image in their head of like what they are and how you think they should be. Um, and then you get that yourself and you start to find your identity and like, you're like, well, society says that this is what herpes is, but I am this person. And how do I, how do I mesh these together and what that means for me? Mm. Okay. Okay. What was kind of your background before, as far as like, what kind of sex education did you experience? Like as like a high schooler growing up and stuff, like what did you, what was kind of like just common knowledge for you about that stuff? Oh, well, Catholic school. So, you know, it's ah, sex is only um, marriage. <laughs> and I, you know, it's interesting. I actually don't know that I had a class that talked about SDIs. Um, I didn't get that until a health class in college. And that was part of my, um, for my degree, right? It wasn't a mandated, it was mandated for my degree, but it wasn't like health 101. Um, mm. But when you think of it, I don't think I was even taught what they were. It's just, you know, don't have sex. Sex is for man and woman. Um, and there, it was weird. We had a life skills class. That's what they called it. And so they separated by gender. So <laughs> of course boys one and one, and they had the, you know, the guy teacher and we had the woman teacher. But what's weird is they turned on this video for us. And it was like a seven in the seventies or eighties. And this woman with super puffy hair and shoulder pads um, was talking to us about sex. And, you know, we had to take our papers home the family planning papers home that our parents had to sign that, you know, we're learning about this. Um, and what I didn't come to realize until much later in my life was we, the, the girls, um, had tampon and pad checks, like when we go to life skills and they would be random. And if we didn't have a pad or tampon in our backpack, we would get a grade deduction. So Whoa. we were punished. Yeah, right. I was like, this is so wrong. I thought about that years later. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awful. That's weird. I've right? never heard of something like that. Catholic school. <laughs> wow. I had a lot to learn about Catholic school. My gosh. So so then what if if that was kind of your background, what got you interested in going to school for that? Uh, I was really interested in the psychology. Um, and I also think there was a piece of me that was self-interested in I had an eating disorder when I was in high school. Um, it me wasn't, too. it was, un- it was unspecified. Um, and I missed, I missed maybe a, a couple quarters of high school for that. Um, I, I just major, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I probably lost like 15 to 20 pounds, uh, was over exercising, mm. um, under eating, and would still look in the mirror and hated how I looked. Um, and so, you know, that's like, that's why I say when I got the herpes thing, it was really, it was almost doubly defeating. Cause I'm like, I worked so hard to get to this space, you know, and now I feel like it's all to the ground again. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I think it was a lot of curiosity, you know, like many kids, I was like, Oh, I want to be, I want to be a psych major. Like, I think that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ended up being a psych minor with a gender and sexuality studies major. And I also had an English minor. Um, and so I was really, I learned what feminism is, you know, typically white feminism, but it started getting me like tra- challenging things. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm like looking for all these other people that have these beliefs. And I'm like, okay, I feel very empowered. Um, and you know, with social media, like 
there are people like me that are educating about all these other things. And so it's really become an educational resource, despite the misinformation that is out there. There's a lot that I've learned, you know, even since my time in college, for sure. Mm. Okay. So you did a lot of school. You learned like a lot Mm -hmm. of very cool things. It sounds like that was just a side note. I'm going back to school right now. So whenever people talk about things they majored in and stuff, I get so excited. (laughs) What are you going back to school for? Uh, So I want to get a degree in sociology really bad. I'm pretty sure that's where the lane I'm going to stay down. Um, But yeah, I started school back in the normal right after high school thing and just didn't know what I wanted to do. And now I'm finally going back because I like feel excited about it for the first time. Thank you, man. Okay, so that there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I have so many different avenues I want to go down now. Wow. So tell me, tell me kind of what it was like after you received your diagnosis. How I, I just by reading some of the stuff that you've posted, I know that it was a very bumpy road. What mm-hmm. are some things you, you made a post about things that you wish you knew mm-hmm. uh, when you were diagnosed? Do you want to kind of talk about that? A little bit? Sure. Yeah. So I don't know what I actually wrote on the post, but I can certainly tell you what I feel now. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, Even better. I wish I knew that it, it it's not this, you know, herpes isn't this thing that you live with 20. I mean, you live with it 24 seven, but I always thought that you'd have symptoms like all the time, right? That was my uneducated knowledge of herpes. Um, and I'm like, you know, you learn your body and if you have outbreaks or not. And interestingly, I had um, my first outbreak, outbreak, which is a primary outbreak, and I was largely asymptomatic. Um, I had a lot of outbreaks actually last year. Um, again, I think it was related to my high stress levels. Mm. Uh, but I, and it's so funny how our bodies communicate that to us, right? And so I yeah. come, you know, and I guess that kind of segues into something else I knew, like an outbreak is really, it's not a punishment. It doesn't mean that you did something bad. It means that your body is in a state, you know, it's trying to protect itself and it's trying to say, Hey, and give you a sign, whether that's, you know, maybe, maybe you're in a really high stress environment and you just need to chill or, you know, maybe you need to practice some more self-care and, you know, not sit in the sun for 10 hours a day if you live somewhere warm, um, cause that could be a trigger too. Mm, okay. I got you. How did you kind of navigate getting through that? Like, how did you go from like the thick of it to where you are now feeling confident talking about it on the Mm -hmm. internet? Uh, Friends, certainly friends. Like those are your first um, disclosures, if you will, right? Like people Mm -hmm. are always so focused on like, oh my gosh, how do I tell this partner that I have this? Or like, when is the right time? And really, I think you... I think we need to lean more into our, our support systems. Right. And so telling your friend, like, Hey, I have this, I need you. And just being able to have someone to lean on that you already trust. And there's that trust there. Um, I think that's really important. You know, we community is very important to us as humans. Uh, That's how we heal. And so I think that that, you know, I remember telling my friend over Chipotle and a margarita and she, you know, there was no judgment. It was just, you know, how can I be there for you? Mm. Um, I'm very appreciative of that. And, you know, I'd say the internet, uh, Ella Dawson, who is my friend uh, now, I didn't know her, but I found her TED talk and I found her blog. And I'm like, this girl, you know, she sounds a lot like me. Like she had the, you know, the undergrad in women's studies and um, she was just 
talking about this thing that was normal. And I'm like, everything on the internet tells me that this is so common, um, but you feel so alone. And so having, mm-hmm. seeing someone out there that was saying like, this is normal and I've got this and you're not a bad person was really helpful to me. Um, and also I like, I like knowledge, right? I went to school for a long time. Uh, I like learning. And so like many people, I find myself, I found myself deep diving on the internet. Now this can be a very good thing and it can also have uh, drawbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think there is a tendency and I know that I was guilty of this too, of over intellectualizing a diagnosis, right? Like, you know, you're like, Oh, like you try to, it's a way to separate yourself, I think from it. Um, but you know, I went down the rabbit hole of who gave me this and who did like all these questions that you have that there are really no answers to. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also learn, like, I think that was my, the sex ed that I didn't really have kind of piece, um, like learning more about herpes or learning, um, what triggers were or learning the comp, how common it is. That was my first deep dive and my first point of education okay. for me at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel, I feel like I've been kind of in that place before trying to just deep dive and like be a sponge and get as much information as you can. I've, it makes me feel, I think, safer when I have mm-hmm. all the information. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Because then it's like, if you could just understand every tiny little piece of it, then you're good. But really, yes. <laughs> you're still going to go and through. Gonna go through. I'm, an, I'm an overthinker with anxiety, right? So there's mm-hmm. that layer of Emily, too. Okay, that's fun. That's always a nice cherry on top. Love some anxiety. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of late nights with that. Yes. Well, I love what you said about um, uh, how you feel like a, like a herpes outbreak. Not outbreak. What, what did you call it when you had uh, like a... Uh, it is an outbreak. An right? outbreak like is that the word you used? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how that's like your body trying to signal to you that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I love that wording i've never heard that in uh like in use in conversations about like um stis and stuff my Mm -hmm. therapist used that which is probably very common now but at the time when i first heard it it was like groundbreaking news of like right depression is your body telling you something's wrong or anxiety is your body telling you something wrong and it's like just this whole new lens of compassion for things like that Mm -hmm. and it shifted the way i see so much like oh my gosh my partner said something she told me someone told her so i don't know who to cite but this is a beautiful quote (laughs) when someone said that they uh when they hit a wall it just means that they need to take a break versus like the wall's like there to like catch them versus kind of feeling shame over needing needing to just end your day and have rest and stuff. And I think that that's, that's really, really special. That's really special. How did you kind of just like, I, I don't even know how to ask this, but like, how did you come up with that mindset or like get to that place? You said talking uh, with I friends. I mean, that was part of it, but I don't think that I really saw outbreaks as like a, a need for self care or like to tune in maybe until a couple of years ago. Um, but and maybe that was my reminder to myself, right? Like when I was super stressed, like I will get an outbreak and it it's it's on my butt, which is weird. But you know, you feel you feel it coming on and you're like, okay, like what is this saying to me? And it's mm-hmm. it's I really think it's a separation of self from stigma, right? So like 
socially people in the US tend to be like, you know, people with herpes and STIs are dirty. They did something wrong. They were immoral. They're disgusting and gross. And so you have these negative stereotypes and then you have your body giving you, you know, this little sign and is the sign synonymous with the stereotypes? No. Mm. Right. It's, and it's, I think it's something you can define for yourself too, right? Like if you're someone who experiences outbreaks, you know, how do you want to care for yourself during that time? What does that mean for you? Because someone's triggers might not be the same. Um, so I've, I've actually encouraged folks, you know, to make a nest, like, you know, take your time alone, like make a nest in your bed, surround yourself with your favorite pillows, binge watch your favorite show, like really take, take time for yourself. Um, and it doesn't have to be focused on, you know, what does herpes mean to me or what does this mean for me? It could be, um, but I think really just spending time with yourself and learning to see yourself through a lens of um, compassion and uh, peace rather than judgment and um, someone who's unworthy of love or affection. Cause you know, that tends to stick out for a lot of folks when they get herpes. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are some ways that you feel like uh, we can destigmatize it? in conversations and just in like our community and stuff like how would you what kind of advice would you want to give for that kind of thing i would say when you hear when you hear it or when you're in a conversation where it happens interrupt it i think that's an easy thing and it's not it's it's an easy thing to to do but it's not always easy for us to jump in and say um you know like if someone's making a herpes joke right like they're all over the news like i will have people who send me you know jimmy kimmel's one i wrote an article about him i was like come on buddy like it's it's not a punchline but you know you'll often hear it as that so let's say a friend makes a joke and says something like herpes ha 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 it's so funny um you know you could say actually you know if you're if you're bold enough to say like i have it like cool that's one route you could go you could say you know a friend has it or you could just say you know that's really not funny there are a lot of people that have that um, and use it as an opportunity to educate. Um, often people don't really know what stigma is until they're confronted with it. So it, it's either, you know, in this, this moment of interruption, um, either, you know, someone discloses like, Hey, I've got it. Um, or, you know, if it's diagnosis yourself, like I, when I was diagnosed, the nurse even asked like, well, you know, should you, didn't you use a condom or you should have used a condom? And I'm like, you don't like one lady you don't know who my partners are Mm -hmm. um two why are you shaming me over the phone like you know it's a it's a really impactful diagnosis it shouldn't be but Mm -hmm. it is and it was there's uh there's a kindness missing from the medical professional society um so i think it's it's it can get very clinical very quickly which is why i think there's always when you're trying to break stigma i think it's helpful to have a humanness right? Like we're not novels. We're not books walking around with data and facts and statistics. Um, they're helpful, I think, for proving a point or making an argument. But I think at the end of the day, there's got to be an element of connection there. Mm. Okay. I like that. I really, really like that. You say there needs to be more compassion in like the healthcare world. Did you, did you have like a lot of negative experiences when going through, I don't know what treatments and stuff look like when it comes to this. What did that, what did that look like for you? And how was your experience? Uh, I mean, my, that was one of the most painful procedures I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like being scraped, like the lesion, having the lesion scraped mm-hmm. um, to test. Right. It was, and it's a very vulnerable thing, right. You know, your legs are open and um, it's, it's traumatizing for many. Um, and but, but that doctor was fine. But, you know, just like some of the support staff, like nurses, 
Um, I've gone to gynecologists who don't believe me or who say like, well, you know, this looks fine. And I'm like, well, you know, I've got this constant bleeding issue, which is separate from herpes, but, um, you know, I had cervicitis and for example, this past year I had to get a cauterization and the doctor was like, I can't believe how many people like you went to who didn't tell you that this was an option to fix. And, Mm -hmm. you know, right. Like, and it's, we silence our bodies and ourselves and what they're saying. Um, but I personally, I think there's a role and maybe this exists in certain places, but I think having a sexual health advocate present, um, you know, like I am a white woman, I am straight, I am cis, I am, you know, I've got all these little social check marks and I know that so many people have it so much harder than me. Um, and there is data to support that, uh, you know, other communities are under-researched or overlooked and um, I, it's, it's an unfortunate reality of our healthcare system. And if I know that I'm having these experiences, I know that those communities and people are having those experiences tenfold. Mm. Okay. That, that actually kind of brings me into the next thing I was going to ask you is where you, you say that you're very interested in the intersection of accessibility, ethics, and sexual health. Is mm-hmm. that kind of where this comes from for you? Yeah. And uh, you know, like, when you look like I, I'm a nerd and I will read, I've got Google alerts set up on Scholar, right? For to see what the latest research is for herpes. And you start to see, I had a professor in college who told me, you know, there's often what is not said in research says a lot more. And so you will look at an article and rarely do I see, you know, research on trans folks or resources mm-hmm. for trans folks who have herpes or, you know, how do I find a provider who is competent and can give me the care I deserve and need and will not shame me or, um, you know, how, who will be mindful? You know, how can I find a um, healthy at every size provider? You know, like all these things that mm-hmm. no one told us that we were, we, we deserve them, right? We deserve these things. Um, but I, I didn't grow up knowing this and, even though some of these are new, um, it's the research I feel like is just so far behind, um, especially when it relates to STIs. Uh, and you know, it's funny, like when you're online and you have a presence and you post, like people are always like, can you give me research on this? Can you give me this? And it's, you know, there's often this, I'm like, I don't know everything. Right. Like, and neither, neither to these studies. Um, and it's hard because you might put the, you can say like the research says this, and these are the p- people that are represented, right. It's, it's hetero couples, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. cis women, it's, um, you know, people with vulvas only. And I try to, it's, it's really, it's almost impossible. It's, it is impossible, like to make this inclusive to all people because the research itself is not. And Mm -hmm. so I, I try to do my best, but sometimes it's not there. And I, I wish that weren't the case. And I, I think we all, you know, need to do better at advocating because, um, it's, it's just like it goes back to the accessibility thing right it's mm-hmm. it's very frustrating when you when you try to point people in a direction to help or educate and they're not represented or you know someone is looking at them through a heteronormative lens yeah oh my gosh this is a conversation that i am very very interested in that when it comes to like proper health care for queer people or trans people or mm-hmm. people of color. I wrote an article about um, queer women with herpes and just their experiences and their invalidation and um, you know, the, the relation, like the poor doctor patient relationships. It was, um, it, it was a very needed piece, but it, 
it really highlighted kind of like what we're discussing. <laughs> wow. What, um, where can I find that? Uh, I believe it was Hello Giggles. I don't even know if that is still around, but okay. I will find it and send it to you. Okay. That sounds awesome. That just cause like, I don't know when I talk to people like you or I talk to people like Erica or some other people that I've had on here about just sex education in general. And I just, I feel so angry when I think back to, to what I was taught and what I was not taught and just mm -hmm. having to learn everything kind of on your own just later in life and learning a lot of the times the hard way. And it just right. sucks. It just sucks. And it's like, I don't know. There's movies like Mean Girl where there's the whole scene. <laughs> don't have sex. You're right. probably going to die. And that's just it. But that's just like really how it felt. I know it, it, <laughs> it did feel that way. And it's, uh, it's a lot. I, I will say, I think it's learning and unlearning. And I think in order to do the, the meaningful learning, you have to be committed to the unlearning. Right. And that, that means you have to confront what you've got inside, right? Like we're raised mm. in a racist society right like that's just how it is and so we all have this in us it, it doesn't do us any good to say that we're not racist we have to actively do the work to acknowledge and unlearn and you know on a smaller scale scale that's sti stigma too right we were mm -hmm. when did you ever get a message that like this is normal or that you might get an sti when you know you have sex or like when did you ever get an, a message that you're not a bad person if it happens to you and that mm -hmm. you're actually quite normal um and so you have to do the work to mm. say, okay, this is what I thought. This is what is reality. And again, you know, it's that identity thing. How do I make this work? How do I get better? How do I, um, how do I reteach myself and relove myself enough to be there when I'm not feeling great or when I'm having some resistance? Like, how do I work through that? Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that. Everything that you're talking about when it comes to like having compassion for yourself through that and just knowing that it is normal. Like you made, I think one of your, one of your recent things that I saw you writing was like, I think the, the cover of it, it was a, I forget what they're called, the carousel posts. Yeah. Um, the cover of it was reasons why you should date someone with herpes. And then I kept swiping and it was like one in every six people on average probably has it, but don't know they have it. And, Mm -hmm. and how it doesn't show up in like quote everything sti screenings mm -hmm. why yeah is so many that? people think so many people think they're getting tested so i will speak for the centers for disease control and prevention the cdc because i don't know how they do it around the world but i would imagine it's similar um mm -hmm. there are several reasons so this isn't one of the reasons but herpes is not something that is mandated reporting so it's not syphilis gonorrhea um those types of things that you get data with all the time um herpes there's a lot of false positives and so there's um the tests aren't great um and then there is the factor of the impact of the psychological diagnosis and i wish the cdc would do more to uh mitigate that i do i do think however you know they just moved from saying std to sti which is a big um i would say that's a big politically political statement for a government organization to make um but it's 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 very frustrating for people when they find out that they don't test for herpes um and you know there's people walking around saying like 
oh, I've, I've got, I've been tested for everything or like the disgustingly, like I'm clean. And you're like, like that is the worst thing you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I read that, I was so, it freaked me out. And I just read that like right before we started, we started talking. Cause I was like, I just, we just don't know these things unless you find out the hard way or mm-hmm. you are lucky enough to, to learn from someone like, like you, who's been through it. And it just, right. It, I, I just am continuously or continually shocked by mm-hmm. how much information is kept from us. Right. And, and then, then you add in health literacy, right? Like how many people know how to read these things or how many, you know, and I think we saw this with COVID as well. And as a sex educator, you can draw a lot of parallels, especially, you know, related to like masks and barriers like condoms and things like that. And you seeing how the public responded to COVID and, you know, seeing people go out maskless, right? It's like akin to some, some person being like, well, I don't need to use a condom. I'm good, you know? And And a lot of those are reflective health practices. There are a lot of parallels there um, in how that's communicated. Interesting. That's, that's a very good point. I don't think I've ever thought about the correlation with that. Right. And like, who's going to take the time, like maybe someone who's very, you know, into deep diving into their herpes diagnosis, maybe they're reading the CDC website until, you know, wee hours of the morning, like I was, (laughs) um, but, you know, I think another reason that the CDC says that they don't test is because di- diagnosing someone, you know, with herpes has not shown a reduced um, decrease in quote unquote risky behaviors um, or, you know, an increase in safer sex practices. So basically research says it, it doesn't matter if someone knows their status, it's still going to um it, it's not going to matter, unfortunately. Although I think it does matter, right? I think, yeah, I think. <laughs> so we have to get more research, like back to what I was saying about inclusivity, right? Like, I think, I think we need more research in, um, yeah. as a whole. For sure. And like the people, the, the, it's so funny to me that people still resist. It's not even funny. It's very, it's very frustrating for me as an educator. When people are like, well, I just have cold sores. Like that's not, genital herpes right and i'm like they actually have more in common than they have differences so it's really just more of a location thing right like Mm -hmm. and people don't know that if they perform oral sex on someone that can result in a genital transmission oral to genital transmission and someone can end up with herpes it's it can happen in a monogamous monogamous relationship for example right like let's say your partner performs oral sex on you and has a cold sore or they have a cold sore coming on and you know, you end up with herpes and you automatically assume like, oh my gosh, my, my partner cheated on me. And while that might be, you know, in some cases that might be um, certainly uh, a result, it's not all the time. And so, but if you look at our education system, it's easy to see how people jump to that conclusion. Yeah, that's really, really good to know. Um, a couple more questions for you. Uh, you. You talked a bit about ways that Uh, ways that you can ask your partner if they've been tested for or what their status is and ways to Mm -hmm. kind of talk about that and how even if you don't have it, you should still share that. You want to talk a little bit more about that and kind of like some examples of ways if there's listeners who are dealing with this can bring it up. Sure. And I think this also goes back to your question about ways to break the stigma. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if, if you're someone who gets regular STI tests, or you just had, you know, your annual GYN, whatever, and you know, you, your results are negative. I think 
sharing that with a partner is important. I think it is important, one, to have informed consent. Uh, I also think it's two, it's breaking a stigma because often the expectation is that only people with STIs or who have something to disclose um, are the only ones to share or have these com- these conversations, but really it's everyone. And I think even though, you know, sex is everywhere around us, I think we're still resistant to, this is where that ego piece comes in, right? And being able to step back and say, okay, you know, what biases are coming up here? What beliefs are coming? Why am I resistant to this? Um, and so that, that might be a little STI stigma point, but that's one, one reason you can share. Um, but for me, you know, some people, a lot of, I'm not, I'm not even going to say some, I'm going to say most, most people that I have worked with or, um, chat about this with are very interested in disclosing on their dating apps or disclosing via text. So in any kind of digital disclosure, my caution, like anything that you send online or post online, it can be screenshot. It can be put in the wrong hands caveat. Um, I think for people that put it in their dating profile, I think it's important to confirm, you know, a lot of people will put HSV plus. Now, had I not had herpes, you know, or been diagnosed, I would have no idea what HSV plus means. Um, It means herpes simplex virus positive. So I think just following up with someone and being like, Hey, you know, like, just want to let, just want to make sure you saw my profile and know what it means. Uh, And by the way, you know, if you could share your results, your recent STI results with me too, that would be great. Um, you know, that sounds, sounds very clinical, but following up in a way that feels meaningful for you or like, you know, find your own words, right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. texting, you know, just be like, Hey, like, like, let's say you're sexting or whatever. And you know, you sleep on it and you're like, I really think I would like to sleep with this person. Like, let's talk about STI tests. Um, and being like, Hey, like, I really like you. I really feel like you want this to go, you know, to a physical level, but I need to share X with you or I would, you know, these are my STR test results. Can you share yours with me too? And, you know, we'll move forward from there. Um, and I think another point of resistance in these conversations is that no one ever taught us how to communicate about sex. We were just taught, don't do it, shut up. And that's it. <laughs> yep. Right. And so I can't, I can't fault people for what they don't, no, right. But I, I think that when I get frustrated is when there's a willful ignorance, when people are just like, well, I, I don't have to, anything to disclose because I'm clean or I don't have STIs or like, I'm not that type of person, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, sit down. <laughs> um, that's when I, I'm like, okay, you're making a choice here. <laughs> and that choice is stigma. But, um, you know, I think there's also with in-person talks, um, making sure you feel safe with the person you know, ideally people are like, when is the best time to disclose? Or is it, you know, and is there ever a wrong time to disclose? And I think, you know, making sure that you feel safe is really an important part of that. Um, you know, and ideally the best, the ideal time to disclose is ideally before you're in a situation, you know, where your clothes are coming off. Um, but you know, even if, if you have to interrupt that moment to have this conversation and be like, Hey, like I need to tell you this or, you know, whatever. And Sitting with, you know, if you're someone with an STI, knowing like, okay, this person might need some processing time, um, you know, not knowing like, have, maybe this person has it too, who knows. Um, but like I said, safety is really important. And something I got a lot of heat on Instagram was a couple of years ago, but you know, I've made a post and it was like, what to do if you had sex with someone and didn't disclose? Like, how do you go back to this? Or like, you know, if you're, and that was a really controversial post, but as a sex educator, my position is that it does, that happens, you know? And I I think it's important for someone to recognize like, 
maybe I should have, you know, said this, or I feel badly that I didn't, and I want to make this right. And, you know, I understand that maybe this person might not want to be with me or may disrespect me now, but um, they deserve to know this. And I think that's a really important part of being a communicative partner. Why did people get upset about that? Um, I think... Sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like that's a good thing. (laughs) Uh, I think it was probably more on the end of, you know, maybe, maybe there were some personal feelings, um, Mm. like maybe people, maybe, maybe that happened to them. Um, and so, you know, when you're talking about anything sexual, sexually charged, there's always going to be a stigma of, you know, in the sex negative culture that we live in. Um, and like, it's just like with oral and genital herpes, like people are so like oral herpes doesn't, it doesn't have a bad rap. It's like, it's the better herpes and people love to rank STIs. That's something else I didn't know. People are like, well, this one's better than this one. And it's like, okay, well, how are you ranking them? And like, it's, it's just this weird thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, for me as a sex educator, that was a really important post to make. Uh, and it was not one that was talked about. Um, like, I feel like, I feel like now, like I'm not really an active participant of like, the herpes community. I think a lot of people call themselves ad- advocates. I like, I'm not advocating that people get herpes. Um, I think pa- like um, patient advocate is a better word. So people living with their infection, creating communities or, um, you know, kind of based off that don't necessarily have um, degrees or education of any kind. Um, but like I see a lot of like hot girls with herpes kind of posts and, you know, um, I think those are also really important to have for people. Um, but the herpes community can also get really, uh, unethical. Like I see people charging outrageous amounts for coaching or to answer someone's question. Um, and that doesn't sit right with me. Um, and like, it's not to say that you have to like do what I did, right? Like you don't have to go my route and go through academia to get knowledge or expertise to, be in a, in a position with your community that you can do certain things or that, you know, you're, you're governed by a certain body. Um, but it's, it's like, it's like a life coaching thing and they're herpes coaches. And I'm like, you can't monetize this vulnerable community, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's this weird, it's this weird thing. And it really hurts my heart. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of thoughts and questions when it comes to that whole community, not, not just in, uh, the herpes category but lots of different categories when it comes to coaching and stuff yeah i I think i think i think it highlights like there's so much good in social media and so many connections (laughs) you can make there's herpes support groups online there's people like i said doing the hot girl herpes shit like go girl get on with it um and you know you see these people in there they're for some they become role models and but then you have this other side where some are manipulative and it's money scheming and mm-hmm. there's misinformation. Like I see like in the, especially in the sexual health, you see a lot of like how, you know, how to clean your vagina or like what foods to eat. And like, I've seen it in the herpes community and it's like, you can't have these foods. I saw this one person who said you can't have sugar if you have herpes and while sugar, maybe that's an outbreak trigger for some people, you know, you'd have to know that. Um, I'm like, do you know how much sugar I eat in a day? Like how many Oreos I eat and like ice cream and like, sugar? please do not limit your diet. Please do not listen to people about, you know, mm-hmm. your diet who don't have the space to, or the knowledge to pull from there. 
Oh, that makes me so mad because that, that feeds into the diet culture industry mm-hmm. and all the overlaps and yep. benefits, all the same yep. people who are making money off of us for all the horrible reasons. Wow. I have learned a lot chatting with you. I, I have um, <laughs> I have just two more questions for you, if that's okay. okay. Um, sure. my, my first one, I think, would be uh, speaking for people, if they're listening to this episode and they have herpes or found out they have herpes recently or just want to be prepared, what are steps how do you go about like i think you called it your sexual self self-care ritual was that about going and getting um getting checked or what what does that look like i i'm it's part of me trying to reframe how how this kind of clinical piece and this forgotten piece of sex education is uh i feel like a lot of sex education is often framed in a negative light similar to sti screenings and so i think people need to reframe for themselves you know what does that mean to me it's yes it's part of being a sexually active responsible adult but it also is self-care it is telling your body hey i'm going to check in with you um Mm -hmm. and i want to check in my with my partners too not only for them but for me too and so that was where that post kind of originated from okay Okay, I love that reframing versus the very clinical go get an STD go get or STI tested. check and yeah. And it's not like it's it's not like a fun thing to do, right? And like I said, I think if you ha- if you have especially if you have trauma in your body, um, which a herpes diagnosis can be very traumatic, mm-hmm. or you know if you're not someone who has access or means to just go get tested, or you don't know, you know maybe you're still living at your parents' house and you're like, oh my god, like how do I go get an STI test without my mom knowing? Um, there are at-home kits now that uh, you know you, they can't test for everything, but it, it's a good starting point if you're if you're looking for you know a way that if you're living with your parents or you're home from college or whatever it is, and you're like, oh my gosh, how do I still take care of myself right now? Um, but I, I don't think people taught us to take care of ourselves and, you know, yeah. there's the community piece. And I think, like I said, social media, I think is, the, is a really strong sense of community and we need community to heal as well. Um, I also think, you know, it's hard to detach from it. And like I said, I was this person too. And like making sure, like, don't put yourself, you are not herpes. You are not herpes. You are a person, you have a life. Herpes should not be your whole life. Um, you are a person with heart, you are a person with interests, you are a person with brain, and you are a person who I'm sure makes someone else on this planet smile, or maybe it's a furry friend. And I would hope that you make space for that. And I think it's important to continue to make space for the things that you are passionate about. And I know it can be hard if you are you know, suffering a mental health diagnosis too, um, whether that's anxiety or depression, um, but even like setting a little reminder on your phone, like check in with, you know, your best friend, just be like, Hey, like I'm having a day, like let's chat or, you know, watching a TV show or spending time with your cat. I think it's really important to still prioritize care in that way. It doesn't have to always be about herpes or finding out who gave it to you. Um, separate yourself from it. It'll give you perspective. It might not feel like it will, but it will. Mm. Okay. That's very, very good. I love that. I love that. And that makes me just feel excited because I love having, oh, sorry, I just dropped my phone. Um, I love having conversations like this, especially with like 
new people like you like i'm like i just it it reminds me that there's a lot of a lot of that out there a lot of people who mm-hmm. are curious about it out there and i don't know just <clears throat> i guess leaning into that good side of social media like you were saying it's very very cool and it it's hard sometimes i it's struggle it's hard for me because i struggle in some of those bad moments like if someone leaves a bad comment or like if you know someone takes what I wrote like the wrong way or like something is missing. It's not perfect. It doesn't address everyone, right? Like it's social media. So no post is, um, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's nice to connect with people. And, you know, we realize we are, we are trying our best and it's nice to connect with self on a podcast like this. Um, I haven't done a podcast in a while because I was so busy. So I took a year, couple years off. Um, and so Mm -hmm. it's important for me to reconnect and this, this really lightens my heart. And so it's, um, thank you to people like you for highlighting, um, you know, these complex relationships with our body, but also the people that are working to make this world better. Thank you. I love that. And I'm really happy to have connected with you. I have one more question for you and it's by far the most important question. Are you ready? <laughs> are you I ready? I'm ready? <laughs> I think I'm ready. Okay. Um, before I ask it, do you remember, I don't know if these clothes are like still a thing, but the, do you remember like those shirts that's really colorful and they were like really tiny and you had to like, they like scrunch yeah. together? And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Would you rather oh, have your, <laughs> your whole career committed and like, you could be passionate about it, but your whole world like committed to bringing that style back, like making that like the style, the go-to for all you do and all different kinds of it. Like just like that for those listening, I'll put, I have no way of putting a picture up for a podcast because it's just audio. Okay. Uh, the shirts, if anyone doesn't know what this is, send me a message, but, um, or, would you rather have to only ever wear that with, yeah, only ever get to wear the shirts that scrunch out and in? Oh man, I think I'd rather, I'd rather be passionate. I'd rather have that spark in me. <laughs> I'd rather, cause people have told me I'm crazy and you know, that I, no one like, why would you do this? I'm late, right? So I, I'd rather have the speculation and be happy and content in a career than wear the same shirt or the same style of shirt. Oh my gosh, those are awful. Honestly, me too. I'm like, I love expressing myself with clothes and the mm-hmm. idea of being same. stuck to just wear that. Yeah, no. Okay. I, same again, page. I went to Catholic school. I had a uniform. I've been there, done that. We're, we're closed <laughs> with that chapter. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. Well, how, how can people find you, Emily? Where can people find your work and any kind of plugs sure. you want to put in. So my website is emilydepass.com. Um, I actually just launched a few workbooks. I'm planning some larger like, courses that I'd love for folks to take. That'll be later this year. Um, my Instagram and Twitter are sex education. That's sex. And then my initials ELD education. Um, and then TikTok, sadly, someone took my username, um, sex ed drama. Uh, but you can find me at Emily Depass. Okay. How dare they take your username? I know. Sex ed drama. It's real. It happens. It's in every career field. It's 
And I, and at first, you know, I, I went to join TikTok and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I went, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, not there yet. And I was like, who took, I'm like, maybe I saw it. I'm like, maybe, I'm like, maybe I reserved this when TikTok first came out. I'm like, let me check all my emails. You know, I've got my, all these emails and I'm like, it's not me. I'm like, oh I have no, God. I have, a, I have suspicions, but I, you know, it's neither here nor there, but that is where I am on TikTok today. I'm sorry that my usernames don't match. <laughs> that's sad. I feel like that's a unique username too, for someone to have taken. That's oh it. Unfortunately makes me feel that it was targeted, but I am still there. So, okay. You're there. Well, I'm going to put all of those links in the description box Thank below. You. And I am looking forward to, to continuing to follow you online and just keep learning and hopefully having conversations and stuff. Cause you are awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to chat with me about all this. Thank you so much, Jackie. This is awesome. And I can't wait to hear this and your future guests. Yay. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, then feel free to go leave us a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Or if you wanted to get involved or get in touch, follow me on Instagram at JackieG.TV or check out my website for any and all information, JackieGronlin.com. All of that info is in the description box below. See you next time.